Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. All right, we're going to jump in. I'm really excited to get to talk about Summer in the Psalms. We're going to continue that series today. And when Pastor started that a few weeks ago, I was super excited about it. One of the reasons is because whenever I read the Psalms, you know, it's kind of your typical read a Psalm a day, read a proverb a day, and then jump into the scripture you're actually looking for something in, you know? I mean, is that just me? I'm so sorry. You're more spiritual than me. But that's how I've kind of always treated the Psalms. And part of the reason is because I read through David's, like, stuff in the Psalms. And I just want to say like, David, get it together. Like you're anointed, you're king of Israel. I mean, I know you went through some battles, but you know, I see it from the other side. So I'm like, what is your deal, man? Like God is with you. I don't know if he's ever been with anyone like he's with you. My goodness. Like if I can pull myself up to face my day, so can you, you know, that's kind of how I've always treated the Psalms, which is unfair because there's such a richness in that authenticity that David had before the Lord. And I think it's such a good lesson reminder to us that God can take what's really going on inside of us. And I think David is who has taught me that. And so going through the Psalms this summer has just been incredible to really dig into what can I grab and mine out of these really worship songs written to the Lord from several people, but one of them being, you know, one of the greatest emotional people in the Bible, but one of the greatest people after God's heart. And so I have just really enjoyed this. So today we're going to talk about Psalm 84 is where we're going to dig into some of this you might be familiar with. And actually Jaylee and the team, aren't they phenomenal? Don't you love our worship team? Jaylee, Marcel, Max, Stanley, man, I appreciate them so much. It's fun being here and hearing the, the Allen team go. But they actually sang a little about it, and you're going to find some of it familiar, but I'd want to dig in past the surface a little bit today. So let's pick it up. Let's read Psalm 84, verse 4. I'm going to read you a good chunk, so bear with me, okay? I know some of y'all love poetry, and so you're loving this, and some of us, not so much. We don't love the poetry, but it's okay, okay? We're going to find what God has for us. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Isn't that powerful? Blessed is the one who trusts in you. As I was preparing for this this week, I was just thinking, God, if there's anything I want said at the end of my life, I want it to be that my pursuit was always God, that there was nothing that could distract me, that all I was after was him. I love that cry. Better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand anywhere else. Benjamin and I love documentaries, and we were watching one yesterday on extraordinary homes around the world. 
It's amazing. I love architecture, so that's probably why I'm into it. So I don't know if you would love it, but I'm telling you these homes are some of the most incredible things I've ever seen. We were actually watching an episode where it was like five homes in India that I could not believe these homes. They were beautiful. And of course, I I have to work on like, don't cover what your neighbor has when I watch these things because I just would love one of these. But I'll tell you what, if I had to make a trade and I couldn't come and worship the Lord and I couldn't know his presence and I couldn't see what he has done in my life and know who he is in order to get five of those mansions or 20 of those mansions, I would never make the trade because better is one day in the house of God than any other place. That is my firm belief. And it's one of the things I love about this Psalm is everything we're gonna talk about comes from this perspective of hunger and love and desire for God's presence. You can hear the person writing this Psalm You can hear in them just this longing and desire for who God is, saying how lucky it is. I didn't read this part, but before this, it says, how lucky are those who dwell in the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? That's just the perspective I always want in my life to remember. I wanna ask you, have you ever been in a place when it became difficult to see beyond your present circumstances? I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people like what's in front of me is what I'm dealing with. And I'm not really good with the long term or like understanding the full vision, you know. That's why God let me marry Benjamin because he sees the future way better than I do. He's, you know, I, um, I've been like digging into some personality things and stuff and they're like, my personality is supposed to always want, like have a five-year plan. And Benjamin's like, so what's your five-year plan? I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm not that person. I just, I am so in the moment of whatever God's doing or whatever fun thing is happening in front of me. You know, that's me, okay? Ignore the pain, have fun, all that. So sometimes it's really difficult for me to see past what's currently happening and remember like what God wants to do and what can happen and have the attitude of faith because I'm just wrapped up in what's right in front of me. Maybe I'm the only one, I don't know, but I I feel like probably not. So pastor mentioned that Benjamin and I are expecting our first baby in November and we're super excited. Can't wait. But I think pregnancy is one of those things that you hear a lot about your whole life there is no way to understand it until you are in the middle of it. And I know a lot of mamas out there can agree with me. I know a lot of dads are like, yeah, let me tell you, I had no idea what was about to happen. I know Benjamin's kind of in that zone right now. So if you need to give him some advice, he'd probably take it. But uh, one of those things, like the question I always get is, what are you craving? And I used to be like, I don't know, because everyone's expecting me to say, yeah, I sent Benjamin to 7-Eleven last night for pickles and ice cream at 2 a.m. And that's just, <laughs> someone had to make that run. But that's just not what, like, what it's been for me. And I feel like I've had a pretty good run. And so the other day I was talking with someone and all of a sudden I realized that I had been having this craving this whole time and I just had never pegged that's what it was. And it's embarrassing to admit, but it's hot dogs. <laughs> I want hot dogs all the time. Like, Benjamin's like, what do you want? I'm like, let's go to barbecue. And then I just get a whole plate of sausage, like nothing else, like sausage, maybe some potatoes on the side. Like I just, I want mustard and a hot dog. Like that's all I ever want. And I hadn't pegged it was a craving until last week, Benjamin and I, we were headed to his parents' house for dinner. 
And his mom is an amazing cook. If you know her, like she can cook it up. And so I never have to worry about being hungry when I come to my mother-in-law's house. I never have to worry. She's going to have great food. It's going to be all organic, the right kind of grain, everything. She keeps telling me, she's like, your baby can only have organic chicken. And I'm like, are you buying? So this is like, you know, she's taking care of me, okay? And so this is what we're headed to. And 10 minutes before we get to their house, we pass a Sonic. And we needed ice anyway, so we decided to stop there for ice. And I'm just staring at that menu, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, a hot dog with chili. Like, I need this right now. So I'm like, babe, can you give me a Coney dog? And he's like, no. We're about to eat in 10 minutes. We haven't realized it's a craving yet, so don't hate on him, okay? He knows now, and he buys me hot dogs. But at this time, we're both, I'm like, but babe, I I don't know. I just, I really need it, like, right now. And he's like, Baby, you do not eat a hot dog. You're going to regret eating that hot dog. My mom has made amazing food, organic chicken. Don't eat the hot dog. I'm like, babe, it's $3. Just buy me the hot dog. <laughs> so we're going back and forth in the car, and I am submitted to my husband, so he won. And um, I didn't get the hot dog. And the next morning, to be fair, I thanked him. I was like, I would have felt so horrible if I ate that hot dog. Thank you so much for seeing the straight and narrow. But because of the moment, because of what was in me at the moment, it was so difficult for me to see good dinners coming in 10 minutes, rice, veggies, chicken, everything I need. I'm going to be fed well. All the nutrition baby needs is coming in 10 minutes. Just hang on. I'm like, no, I want the hot dog. I couldn't see past what was in front of me to understand what the end game was going to be. You know, has anyone else ever been there before? Maybe it wasn't so funny a circumstance. Maybe it was something really serious, but there's sometimes this difficulty to see past what we're going through to understand what God wants to break out in your life. There was a man in number 16 that had the same problem. His name is Korah, and we're going to talk about him because he has a lot to do with the background of this psalm. But Korah, he uh, basically what had happened is Moses and Aaron had gotten instructions from God on building the tabernacle, the place where people could come and meet with God, the place where God's presence would be, where they could offer their worship and their sacrifices because there was no temple yet. And so they'd gotten all these instructions. And one of the things God said was set apart the Levites, this entire tribe, and they're going to serve in my house. They're going to serve in my house to make sure there's a place for the worship and sacrifice. And so some of the tribe was divided into different tasks. Not everyone could be the ones actually at the altar bringing the offerings and lighting the incense and the things that were part of the worship to the Lord. Not everyone could do that. So there were different duties divided up. And one of those families, they got divided up to be in charge of all of the poles and the tent stakes, and the rope, and the things needed to make the structure of the tent of meeting. And then another family, you know, they're in charge of the drapes and all of the ornamental beautiful things that were in God's house because how how many of you know that God wanted a place of beauty? We love to offer him the excellence and all that we have. And so the tent of meeting, even in the desert, was just that kind of place. And then this third family was given the task of carrying and transporting and caring for everything that was used for worship. So the Ark of the Covenant, the altar where they made their sacrifices, the lampstand that kept the incense burning, all of these things were carried and cared for by this family. The difference was all the other families, they could pick up the tent poles and the drapes and all these things and put them on donkeys and carts. And when they're wandering through the desert for 40 years, someone else is carrying the load. 
But this family was given the task of very precious, holy pieces. And so they were uh, responsible to not put it on a donkey, not put it on a cart, but to lift it up and carry it on their own shoulders. So for 40 years, this family is looking at the fact that they're gonna be carrying the burden of this care for the holy things in the temple of God. And Korah basically looked at it and was like, well, I don't understand why I have to do the hard work when they're all, you know, riding donkeys. I don't understand why I have to care for these things, but Aaron and his family, they get to do the sacrifices and the things that seem important. And so Korah gets this false wrong perspective. He can't see past his frustration and his pain to understand the full purpose of the meeting place for God and his part, how it was so key to worshiping the Lord, he couldn't see that. And so Korah gathers 250 men to come against Moses and Aaron, and he stands before them and says, what gives you the right? How did you get to be in charge of all this? Maybe some of us should make some of these decisions. And Moses was such a humble leader, and he says, all right, let's put it before God. And so he says, you come tomorrow morning with your 250 men, and Aaron and his family will come tomorrow morning, and we'll see whose sacrifice the Lord accepts. And so, or whose worship the Lord accepts. And so the next morning, they're lined up, and Moses has a feeling. And he's like, I'd really back away if I were you. Like, you're not in that 250. Like, let's make some room, you know? And God's judgment comes against Korah's rebellion to what God had asked. And he literally opens the earth. And Korah and the two men leading the charge with him and their families fell into the earth, and the earth closed up. And that was that. That would be a weird day. I can't even imagine like if the stage just opened up and closed and I was gone and everyone's just like, well, God's spoken. You know, like that's crazy, but that's what happens. And then fire comes out from the place where God's presence dwelt. Fire was representative of the presence of God and consumes the other 250. And it was his judgment saying, no, no, no. Like do not stand against the man of God. Do not stand against what I have set in place. I have an order. And so Korah and these men were judged. But what I love is as much as God desires justice and he's a God of justice, he's such a God of mercy. And so I wanna show you this. Numbers 26, 11 says that Korah's line did not die out that day. It says sons of Korah survived. Isn't that powerful? God needed to judge what was happening, but he left a way for redemption. He left a way for a legacy to change. And these sons, instead of carrying a burden of the mistake of their father, we see now they're actually the ones who write Psalm 84 and it becomes a declaration. How wonderful it is. They say it would be better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. What a transformation. They didn't carry the shame of their forefather. They didn't carry what had been his, his rebellion and frustration, but they allowed something to shift in them that said, I'm more hungry for the presence of God. I'm more hungry for what he wants to do than I'm hungry for position or what I need. Both father and sons had the opportunity to serve the Lord in his dwelling place, but the father was hungry for position. The sons were hungry for presence. So what shifted in the generations in between? I believe the answer is in the concept of contentment. So let me explain contentment a little bit. Contentment is peace of mind, mental or emotional satisfaction. There's a few things I don't want you to confuse contentment with. Contentment isn't this idea 
It's not natural. It does, it's not something that comes to us easily, to be really honest. I don't know about you, but I've had to make it a practice in my life in order to establish contentment in me that I don't go to Nordstrom unless I need something because I do not do well there. Um, I want the new shoes. I want the great bag. I want the chai in the cafe. Like, I just walk around and I want it all. I'm so very aware of what I don't have when I walk through Nordstrom. And I know it's not shopping for everyone, but I think there's places in our life where we can be so aware of what we don't have, what someone else has, how our situation is worse than another's. Maybe we see someone else in pain, but we think, yeah, but they got through it so much faster than I did, or God answered their prayer sooner than he answered mine. And we struggle in this battle of contentment. But what contentment isn't, it's not natural, and it's not something, it's not dependent on your outward circumstance. Contentment isn't about everything being in line on the outside, so now I can be happy on the inside. Contentment is a state of mind. It's an emotional place in your mind and your heart that says no matter what's going on around me, I am settled, I am at peace, I am secure, and I know that God has it. That's contentment. How many of you want some of that in your life? Am I right? I need contentment because this world offers so much. In our culture, there's so much available that it can be easy to think that what I have or what I'm going through or what I'm doing is never enough. But I'm telling you right now, God is enough. And he can bring to your heart a settledness, a joy, and a peace, no matter what the outside circumstance looks like, which I believe is what the sons of Korah discovered and communicate to us in this psalm. So contentment isn't natural. Contentment isn't settling. It's not, I've gotten all the ducks in a row, and so now I don't need to move from here. Contentment is an inward place. And so sometimes there might be things in our life where we're still needing to make headway. We're still walking forward. We're still believing in faith. We're still standing on God's promises. There's still movement to be made, but I can be at peace inside. It's not a place of settling. Contentment is peace. It's a knowing that God is enough, that God is in control. It's, an, it's a satisfaction with who he is. Contentment is daily. It's a battle you win daily. It's not one and done. I don't win the victory and walk off with the spoils, sadly. I really wish things worked that way. I'm not going to lie. Like I said, I'm not good with like the long term, you know? But it's something that daily you stand up and choose. Like today I'm going to take hold of the peace of God. Today I'm going to remember that I can stand on his faithfulness. That where he saw me through before, he'll see me through again. And so the outside situation may not have changed, but today I can stand in that contentment still. It's a daily thing. So what are the keys that the sons of Korah leave us in this psalm for finding peace that defies circumstance? I want to read this psalm again, just a portion of it in the Passion Translation, because I believe the language is just beautiful for bringing out what I believe some of these keys are to contentment. So bear with me. We're going to read verse 5 and 6 again. How enriched are they who find their strength in the Lord, Within their hearts are the highways of holiness. Even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others find only pain. He gives to them a brook of blessing filled from the rain of an outpouring. Isn't that powerful? The first thing I see in there is that he tells us find strength. 
Verse five says, how enriched are they who find their strength in the Lord? Another word for that is blessed. How blessed are those who depend on the Lord? Strength here means a secure fortress. It's a strong place, the place you run to when things are not working out. It's a shelter. And one of the things, um, Pastor actually talked about this, I think it was two weeks ago. He talked about having your storm fort, right? Do you remember that message talking about weathering the storms of life? And he said, God does not take you out of the storm, but he protects you in the storm, which I think is such a good reminder when we're talking about this idea of inner peace, being able to carry the joy of God with us, is that sometimes our circumstance is not what moves, but God remains with us in that place. And so we draw our strength from him. Isaiah 41.10 is an amazing promise. And maybe this is resonating with you already, even though we haven't gotten to the rest of it. Hold on to this promise right here. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a promise to know that God will be there for us. He will be our strength. So practically, this looks like surrender. Ah, it's like the word we never wanna hear, you know? But that's what this looks like. And I think sometimes we have, we understand the idea of surrender, but we don't like it because sometimes it's easier to let go of things we don't have control of. The cancer, well, that's easier to just trust to God because I can't figure it out myself. Maybe it's the financial situation. Well, God, you're just gonna have to come through. I, I have nothing to do with that. And then things that we feel like we have a little more control over or we have the answers to, we tend to hold on to. Like what you think you need to do with that kid who's not following the Lord the way you hope they would. Or what the promotion needs to look like at work so that you can give, like pastor's talking about giving so that you can be, you know, like we start to put all these things that we can control. We're like, God, you can have all the big stuff that I can't handle, but these are the things I'm gonna hold on to. And the truth is, is you cannot find a place of peace in the Lord unless he has full control of everything. We have to give him everything. I uh, was, had the opportunity to go with a friend to a work dinner of hers a few months ago. And uh, that's the best because they're free, right? So the, they had all been paid for. They had this amazing spread. They had like the carving station. Whenever I walk in somewhere and there's a carving station, I'm in. I'm like, don't give me the carbs. Don't just give me veggies and meat. That's all I want, right? But then I turned around and they had like the charcuterie station too. And I was like, oh no. And I, I was um, about three months pregnant. So I just gotten through being sick and like my appetite was coming back. I went through that buffet line so many times. It was so good. This mac and cheese I'd never had before. I mean, it was just like, it didn't matter. I wasn't paying. It was on her boss's dime. I'm eating up, you know? But then a week later, Benjamin took me to this really nice steakhouse. And even though Benjamin was taking me, I mean, it's my bank account too, you know? So like we're going through the menu and I'm like, okay, so if you get this and I get this and I can have a little bit of that and then we can share this side and let's split the salad and then that makes sure we can get the dessert. I'll just take the berries off the dessert and you can have the chocolate because I don't do chocolate. You know, like this is how I'm eating at the nice steak restaurant. Why? Because it was my bill. I knew I had to pay it in the end, you know? There's a difference when you know the bill is on someone else. And that's what this is about, like giving control to the Lord doesn't mean it's not taken care of and it's gonna go haywire and nothing will happen. It just means at the end of the day, it's his dime, not yours. He's responsible, he'll take care of it. I'm telling you, 
God is more responsible than you are. Thank God in my case. But for some of y'all, you feel like I'm on top of these things, but God is more responsible than you are. He will take care of the bill for you. Number two, we see the instruction to follow holiness. In verse five, it says, within their hearts are the highways of holiness. And this psalm was actually written as a song to sing after the real like building temple was built. Shout out to my uh, you know, mobile campuses. Thank God for a building. Um, so after the actual temple was built, this song was written because three times a year, the people of Judea uh, would travel all over to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Other times they just could worship in their home, but this was the time they could come to where the presence of God was. Because it wasn't, Jesus hadn't died yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. It wasn't accessible at all times like it is for us. And so they could come close to the presence of God. That's why you hear this language, like how lucky are those who dwell in the presence of God? They're saying, look at the people who get to live near the temple every day. How blessed are they? Do you think they felt blessed? Do you think they understood the privilege? I don't know. But these people traveling for 20 and 30 miles on foot, I know you can do that today real easily, but it was different back then, okay? They're traveling a long ways with this hunger in their heart. And it says, follow the path of holiness. It's not a picture of doing everything right and following the law and obeying every tiny little jot and tittle and getting stuck in like this cycle of like legalism or, or striving because we know we're under grace. We know that we're not under the law and we have the blood of Jesus. But what it was, was a picture of hearts that knew the path to God's presence. When it says, follow the path of holiness, follow the, the heart of pilgrimage, it was saying in your heart should be a pathway that leads you to the presence of God. Something that constantly your feet are demanding, just go further, just walk closer, turning you. You're in the supermarket, but it's turning you away. You're, you know, you're at work and it's turning you aside from meetings because there's something in you drawing you down the path of holiness. What does this look like? This looks like hunger. And there's hunger. There has to be hunger in our hearts. I think when we get hungry for the Lord, part of the reason that this ties into a contentment is because then we're not hungry for a lot of other things. When I get my mind on that hot dog, you can feed me vegetables all day, but I'm not hungry for them. I want one thing and one thing only. I want the hot dog. It's a funny example, but that's when hunger for the Lord stirs up in us. There's just not room to want the other things. There's just not room to be longing after things of the world. And as this, the Psalm says the tents of the wicked, those things begin to pale in comparison because something in me is stirring for who God is. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I am always starving. People talk about I had a huge meal. I can't eat for two days. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have a great meal Thanksgiving night. You do the leftovers. And the next morning is like I eat the biggest breakfast I eat all year long. Why? Because I've increased my appetite the night before and it's made me more hungry. So some of us are, are like, okay, hunger, that's great. But like, how do I get hungry? What does that look like? And the truth is, is you just need to follow and find your way to the place of God's presence. That can be in your closet, that can be in your car, that might be in a church service at Church 1132, that might be at a group where someone prays over you and you encounter the presence of God, but find your way to the place of God's presence. And I promise you, there will be something new that stirs up. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So if I can get myself to a place to know and eat of Him, 
the hunger grows. So that's my advice. Just follow the path to his presence. Thirdly, the psalm tells us to dig deep. In verse six, it says, even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep. Isn't that powerful? Sometimes we feel like, yeah, I can, I can dig deep. I can like settle myself in and wait on God and I can believe for his promises and I can stand on these things when it's all working out and when it comes quickly and when the answer is really close or there's someone with me believing with me. But what about when we're in the valley of Baca, as they call it, which was a word for weeping? What about when we're in the place of tears, the hard place? that doesn't seem like it ends. We were just trying to get to God's presence. We were just trying to worship. We're just trying to live like he's called us to live and we end up in this valley. In that place, can I dig deep? Can I stand my ground? Can I stand on the word? Can I look to God's promises and truly believe them? Because the Bible says, this Psalm says, that when they dig deep, they discover pleasant pools. And what that word means is it means a fountain that bursts forth with joy and refreshing. How beautiful is that? They didn't have to walk through the valley, you know, drag themselves through. And then when they got to the other side, whew, it was waiting for them. It was in the hard place, in the circumstance that so often is too difficult to see past, in that place that sometimes I just get caught up and can't see what the end result is or what God wants to do. It was that place that they chose to dig deep, to stand in what God said, to persevere through what they were facing, to believe in faith, to let the hunger keep them close to God in the dark place. And their fountains rushed forward of joy and refreshing. How powerful is that? What a promise to know that if I will just stand my ground and stand firm, God will bring it forth. I mentioned this psalm was written as a song to sing as people journeyed to the temple. In one of the places, when they're talking about the Valley of Baca, it was an actual place many, many people would walk through on the pilgrimage. It was just kind of right around Jerusalem, so a lot of people had to pass through it. But it actually has more history than that, and they believe it's actually the Valley of Rephaim. And that is a place that just a few generations before this, David himself walked through. And he was facing a great enemy. The Philistines were coming against him when he had been anointed king. And he asked the Lord, he said, do I go out and face them? Will you give me the victory? And the Lord said, yes, I'll give you the victory, go out. And he went out and faced them and he won the victory. And this is what he says, I just love this, 2 Samuel 5:20. So David went to Baal Perizim, that was like kind of a city or an area in this valley. And there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perism, which means God who breaks through. And I just believe that's a word for us this morning, that when we dig deep, and I said that the, you'll find the pleasant pools, that's not this calm, like subtle place of, I'm just gonna be in the lazy river, you know, and just enjoy it. No, you're still in the valley, okay? There's still more to go. You still have a place to walk through. God still has more to bring you to. But what it is, is it's like a violent gushing forth. The God of breakthrough, breaking through on your behalf, releasing the refreshing, the joy, the peace to you. How many 
Tony, no, I don't need the pleasant pool. I can find that in North Park. They have like turtles swimming in it. I want the break forth power of God to release what I myself cannot grab hold of. I need God to set me forward from that valley of tears and take me onward to his presence. And he will do it. He will do it. It was this confidence, this story that these sons of Korah knew all these generations later when they're saying, God, one day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. Just take me to your presence. They knew the journey. And as they wrote this Psalm, they were writing with confidence, knowing the way God had broken through for David knowing the way God had come through for their forefathers, knowing even God's judgment on their own forefather, knowing this, they could say, this trust in God, God, you're the master of the breakthrough. And that's what prompted the sons of Korah to pen these words promising us that if we will dig deep, even in the circumstances we don't understand or frankly like, that God will break out with springs of refreshing in our lives. And I believe that's where contentment comes in. It's an understanding that if I will journey the way he sent me, no matter what I walk through, he's going to break out before me. That's what gives us that peace. Let hunger stir up in you for that. Maybe you've experienced that before, but it's been a long time. Maybe you're saying, I, I haven't experienced that side of God. I only know kind of a tame God that I come and worship and I have not experienced the breakout violence in a good way part of God. But I'm gonna tell you this morning, it's gonna change and God is gonna do something in the situations that you face. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.